Hello, and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. I'm Gus, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alvaro. Tonight, you'll be staying in room 144, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the iconic slasher film by Toby Hooper. So go ahead, get comfortable, and throw on that Do Not Disturb sign as we try to survive one truly disturbed family with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What is going on, all my power tool enthusiasts, and thank you for checking back in to the Grand Cinema Hotel. Tonight, in honor of uh, continuing the Halloween month, where we will be discussing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, I'm here with Alvaro. What's up, guys? Sorry about that. Um, I I got lost in the sauce right away because I didn't know this was actually your first time seeing this movie. Uh, Do you have any thoughts or opinions that you want to open up the show with? Yeah, so I I never really, no one ever showed me this movie um, for the longest time. I was holding it off for um, a special occasion, and finally, since I'm watching a bunch of movies, it seemed like this year was the year, and it just so happened, um, because you didn't know that, but it just so happened that you picked it for um, to talk about, so it's really interesting, because I know this is an all-time classic, and I've been exposed to so much of the scenes about it, right, and for the most part, I know that it's a short film, and I, I felt like I had seen it for a long time, but to finally be able to enter this claustrophobic world that this film is um i think i know it's like a frontier for like independent filmmaking right and i think that's why i like it so much but also in the same way unfortunately i feel like it doesn't look very good even in (laughs) even in the um you know upgraded scans that they've done now there's a blu-ray and i'm pretty sure there's a 4k out for it too and like it's just, uh, I mean, it doesn't take anything away from it, but I think it's an unfortunate thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you know much about Toby Hooper, but he originally he worked in like documentary filmmaking, right, and those types of things. So I do think that just kind of adds to the appeal of this. Right, almost right, feels yeah. like an original found footage movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like something you shouldn't be seeing. That's true, and I think that's where the appeal does come from. And the more I sit about it and think about it, I do like it more. But I think at first. Um, we're watching it. I'm watching it in 2022, you know, and I sometimes it's hard to take off those goggles. And I think so, obviously someone like the the lines or the dialogue, it's a little wonky, but it's like I, I think that doesn't really matter too much in this movie. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think that this was like a horror comedy somewhat? Because it, it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. And no, I didn't. I, I Those are the parts that I wouldn't have gotten from actually not watching it. You know, it's like I could get all these scenes from it and all these iconic, you know, sequences from it that I've seen repeated in horror, uh, horror, uh, what would you call them? Like when they make a bunch of like a reel with a bunch of videos on it, you know? Yeah, like a sizzle reel or something. Yeah, like, like I've seen scenes from this movie from a long time, but it, that's the stuff I didn't know about. And I think you describing it as found footage is just like the perfect way to think about it because this film doesn't really end either. I really feel like, and and, uh, you know, it, it kind of, you, you're, you're welcomed into a little spot in hell and then you leave. You're lucky to be able to leave, you know? And then, but it still exists. It's still there. And I, and I think, there, there has been a sequel to this, right? A bunch, yes, yeah. Yes. So, and I, and obviously there was a pretty um, new, like reimagining of it, right? Yeah, the influencer version. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I did, the I did, gentrification I did, version. Didn't watch it, but uh, he was actually a working class hero in that film. <laughs> was he really? <laughs> he was the good guy. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> see, but see, uh, that's what I was gonna say. I can easily say that why it's inspired for people to want more from it because mm-hmm. the the first film is just like a little taste, you know. And I think that's why it's it's. 
it is i could still say it's 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 my favorite slasher though yeah i definitely um yeah i think you made a lot of great points and i do think it's interesting that you you know i honestly thought we had watched this movie before like together i was like of, of the many films that you and i have sat together and watched over the years i just assumed this was one of them because we have watched quite a few horror movies together yeah um my first, okay, so we obviously have a way different experience with this movie because mm-hmm. this is one of the first movies I saw when I was a kid that it made me enjoy horror movies. I finally, like, the the mask was taken off, like, no pun intended, and I was like, oh, these are, like, I see why these are good, and, like, they're not just scary because, you know, I was the kind of kid when I would watch horror movies with my parents, I would I would dread it, and I would, I would sit there with, like, my uh, face just, like, burrowed into my mom's shoulder, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would watch the things. I would use the music cues as, like, okay, I think I'm safe. I can, I can watch this now. Yeah. And then when the music would get ratcheted up, I would, I would just hide. So this was the first time I really kind of um, just was able to sit there and, like, see past, the, like, the facade of the, of the film, you know? And yeah. I, I think that's what really made me enjoy it. Um, just like right from the jump when I was a little kid and, um, I wrote down some of my thoughts and opinions because I feel like this is a movie that it's scarier when you imagine it than when you actually watch it. Yeah. You get what I mean by that? Like in your head, it's 10 times, it's definitely 10 times scarier. And I think it, that might come from the, again, putting on the 2022 goggles or whenever you watched it is the terms of the people that are on screen that are being victimized aren't exactly somebody I can see myself in. Those characters aren't really. All the no, all the what, relatable, yeah, they're they're pretty empty, <coughs> and I mean they're from an era too that we're way different and removed from. But I think that's that is an interesting thought because I felt the same. But it's like, but if I was in this situation, or I think this movie is everybody's inside nightmare. Every single time they're like everybody's obviously scared of dying in some way or form, and I think it's like this movie and really brings out that fear that you have of um every little creepy person that you see or the worst that can happen when a stranger you pick up a stranger right and i think in an era that's why it's a little unrelatable because you're like, i would never pick up a hitchhiker right it's as simple as that it's as simple as that but then before it's obviously southern hospitality like you know we're just driving obviously that it's always the start of um a lot of horror films is trying to be nice being a good person and it gets you you know so i think that that's what this film really does well is that inner nightmare we all have you could place yourself in that and it's like well this would be one of the most worst horrible things that could happen yeah you know i think another um another thing that would changes the experience especially since you saw this now is that you never had the whole oh this was true uh, yeah, you know I mean? which was a big thing that I uh, heard growing up. You know, even myself, like I never seen the movie, but so that's something I heard. Believing it was, I used to believe it was true because that's what people told me. My mom told me that. My dad told me that. Everybody who I watched that with, like, yeah, you know, this really happened. So that definitely affected my take on the movie for many years. You know, and then I remember when I was a teenager, you know, just on the internet looking up shit about movies, realizing that it wasn't actually real. It's not that it took away from it. But then it made me think, like, no wonder people thought this was so scary as well. It's like all that, that giant fear that you're talking about in Nightmare of, like, if I, pick, if I pick up a hitchhiker, what if he's a cannibal serial killer? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, I mean? what if he's plotting? And, I, and that is something that I had. Because I do know that it's based off of, like, I think Eric Gain is no, one Ed of the. Gein. Ed Gein. yeah. It's, but it's loosely related, you know? It's not even no. the, him using the chainsaw, isn't it? But that's, um, that's why this movie works, though. Yeah, I, now that you mentioned the chainsaw, um, I think one of the reasons this is so iconic is because it, I think, as far as I can tell from my research, that it was the first film to use, like, a conventional power tool as a weapon. That's cool. So then it just, like, opened up a whole new, like, toy box of of options for yeah. directors. Like, oh, um, this guy uses a chainsaw. Well, this guy's going to use, I don't know, a garden hoe or something like that. Um, I just thought that was cool because this movie is so damn influential. Like I can think of 20 movies off the top of my head that, I mean, I'm not going to do it, but yeah. <laughs> I can think of 20 movies off the top of my head that are just like this, you know? I feel like Rob Zombie's whole yeah. stick is exactly. this movie. Or The Hills Have Eyes and things like that. Honestly, any movie where you go out into a desolate location and you run into some strangers, some I mean, we, freaky. I mean, we had talked about it before the po- podcast, but we've talked about two of them this year that are heavily influenced by this is X and Pearl. Yes, and I know, I don't know if it's a hot take. I mean, honestly, I think 
on this podcast, this is a cold take, but I do prefer X, and so do you. Right? Yeah, this is a cold take at this point, and that's what I mean. Is I don't I don't see it as a recency bias, but I think X took what's best from this film, and uh, I think he had made a good point that um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre works so well though because it. For any per- person who watches it that influenced it, it's just like a, the bones of a story. Like, you could add so much more, more to intended. it. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you could just add so much more flesh to this story. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. You mute yourself for 30 seconds. <laughs> and I think that's what X did. And, um, but this, this story, I mean, to have done it when he, when this movie came out, yeah. for it to come out, I think it's just, perfect I, uh, you were ta- kind of talking about the um thinking it's real and like i the narrator's voice in the beginning is very convincing you know but you had a narrator's voice i don't think my version did honestly it had a text like a text like star wars where it went from top to bottom and didn't nobody read it oh maybe i was just watching it on so low because my my daughter was sleeping next to me right you know i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna lie the first 20 minutes when i was re-watching this it was basically on silent and then my wife pointed out, she's like, have we been watching this on mute the entire time? And I, I, I had to go back and start over. <laughs> so there's this, I, I think it's actually somebody who's very well known. I'm not too, I, I didn't get his name, but. He was a voice actor? I, I believe so, but it's like an iconic, you know, it's like a news reporter's voice. Oh, okay. And it's like the, the events you're about to see, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I was, I was doing some research and reading about that and. Obviously, Toby Hooper was a young man when he made this, mm-hmm. so it kind of makes it a little more cringe now with uh, hindsight. <laughs> but so the reason that he wanted to market this movie with the false advertising of it being true is because he had just witnessed, you know, Vietnam and Watergate and things like that. And this is kind of like a F you to the American government, like like literally his own words that. Oh, well, the U.S. government lies all the time, so I'm going to lie about my movie. Be nice. Real. <laughs> that is a young man's take. Adjust glasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, that's, I yeah, like that. So, I mean, it's cool. It's it's cringy. It's uh, power uh, power to the people. Fuck the man, right? Yeah. But, eh, I don't know. I think it only works so well before, you know? That's, that's the type of stuff that we're talking about because pre-social media, pre-cell phone, pre-internet... Um, you could advertise a movie like that, and who's going to fact check you? Not- I mean, the Blair Witch did it almost, uh, what, 25, 30 years later, you know? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about as well uh, the inspiration for the character of Leatherface, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so funny that anyone ever thought this was true because Toby Hooper has stated multiple times that he was just, like Christmas shopping in like a Sears or something like that, and he, pa- he passed by the power tools, and the chainsaw caught his eye, and he kind of picked it up, and he thought about how heavy it was and like how you know you wielding this thing and that's where the inspiration came from for like oh this would be sick if there was a killer who did something like like used this tool and then the actual leather face himself who knows how true this is but in the 50s he said he had a uh, pediatrician that he went to who said that when he was in medical school that he uh, skinned a cadaver and he wore the face to a halloween party and that was the inspiration and the birth of of Leatherface right there was those two things. That's crazy. I wonder how <laughs> true that is, though. It, it's, uh, it's outlandish, but because it's the 50s, I'm like, yeah, I could, I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, I guess my only questions are how would that work, right? But they're doctors, and I'm not the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> All I think of is Dwight in the office yeah, yeah. cuts the face off the dummy. Exactly. <laughs> like, is that where also the... I wonder if Silence of the Lambs, the book, had been written yet, you know? No, and I got to assume Silence of the Lambs is a huge inspiration. It's the same doctor, huh? They knew the same doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I think we could talk about the cast and the crew a little bit Mm because I have some interesting stuff that I wanted to discuss. So it's written and directed by Toby Hooper. He's most known for this and Poltergeist. Yes. I think Poltergeist is the better movie. Yeah. Um, More fleshed out. Written by Hooper and Kim Hankel. And of course, that's a man. <laughs> I was I, I thought it was kind of cool at first. I was like, "Oh, Kim Hinkle! Wow, a woman wrote this movie." No, it's just a guy named Kim. Kim, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's mostly known for his work with the TCM. I'm, I'm going to shorten it for now and just call it TCM franchise. And uh, he served on a pro- as a producer on future installments. So I do think that's a nice touch that he has been involved this entire time. Uh, what really caught me by surprise, though, 
was this story about the distributor. So it's produced by a company called Vortex, and it was distributed by a company called Bryanston. And, you know, when I was Wikipediaing this film, I thought, you know, let me click on the Bryanston tab and see what, see if I could find anything interesting, what other movies they've made. Um, So they were known originally for distributing the the pornographic film Deep Deep Throat. Sorry, I don't know why I called it Deep Fake. Um, Other films were John Carpenter's Dark Star, uh, Return of the Dragon, the Kung Fu movie. Nice. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a, a film called The Devil's Reign. And then the company ended up going under due to numer- numerous legal troubles like two years after the release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, what a coincidence. So then I was like, okay, let me see what happened here. And uh, in the 70s, the sons of the Colombo crime family, Anthony, Lewis, and Joseph Pirano Sr., <laughs> Were the president, vice president, and secretary treasurer of the Branson uh, oh. distribution company. And in August of 74, uh, Louis Pirano agreed to distribute the film, right? Uh, production manager Ron Bosman and the Texas Film Commissioner Warren Scarron would receive $225,000 and 35% of the profit. Years later, Bosman was stated as saying, we made a deal with the devil, and I guess in a way, we got what we deserved. Yeah, <laughs> so this is a mafia-distributed film. Nice. <laughs> and I told you before recording, I was like, I have something to tell you that I dug up with this movie. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's ever brought this up. I mean, it's it's common knowledge on Wikipedia, but I just love this old indie filmmaking story. Of, the mafia. Yeah, the, the mafia distributed it. this movie and made all the money for it. Makes me even more think like, this really happened, Powered right? the crime family. Yeah. <laughs> Through the power of cinema. Like, who would have known that, yeah, the, the mob was carrying a cinematic... Yeah, I mean, most of the crew and cast received no money, and after suing Bryanston and uh, winning the court case, obviously, and they were all supposed to get about $500,000, the company declared bankruptcy. He's like, we don't have any money, by the way. <laughs> I thought that, I don't want to say I thought that was great, but that is just an old-time story that, if that happens nowadays, they cover that up way better than they used to, I guess. I mean, it's yeah, the fact that the they were running it as mob members. <laughs> the mafia in, uh, the, produced the movie. <laughs> I like that. That's I mean, like, that makes this movie a little better, honestly. It just adds to the lore, man. Yeah, it makes it more like a found footage. It makes you really feel that way. Yeah, for real. So, uh, you want to talk about the cast a little bit? I mean, I don't have a lot, a ton to say about them because they sure do go quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the one who really get a lot of time with is Sally. And like you said, she's the scream queen. Yeah, I mean, Over she's anybody. one of the original final girls and an OG scream queen. And I know you did have a problem with how her character was written to basically just scream for the final 25, 35 minutes of the film. Yeah, and I guess I guess sometimes like, it becomes like one of those like white noises. After she's screaming so much, you look past it. So I think it's just a little too much. It's what I hate about Temple of Doom, you know? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't prefer it. But in a movie like this, to me, it makes sense. It I'm, may, a little, I'm no, more lenient. That's why I'm saying it doesn't. It doesn't like take it away from me. But I, I did feel like for the last part, there's no. Um, I mean, she says sorry or no, not sorry, please, a couple times, right? But it's all. It's almost audibly not a break, and I think it starts to become white noise. But in the same instance, if I was in that position, I probably would scream it just like as that. much. It wouldn't be like killing of a sacred deer. Be like, my dad loves spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I I do think it's I didn't um, think the how long it was I didn't agree with that but I do understand yeah and I mean that's a that's a fair take you know I don't think that you're being harsh or anything like that to the movie I mean yeah I mean that is just um, you know it's an opinion I thought of I thought of blowout quite a bit when, actually when watching mm-hmm. this I thought about how many how much voiceover work could have been done on this. And maybe one of the reasons it's so grating and annoying to you is because the production itself is not really that's my high movie. quality, yeah. you know? So it's like you're watching low-budget filmmaking, and it's, I don't want to say it's amateur, because I do think they've really made some yeah, iconic movie-making moments in this film. Yeah, but exactly. You can definitely, I think, when you say it, it might age poorly, do you mean, like, the ideas or just the production value? No, the it? production okay. value, yeah, not that, this, this movie's going to be timeless, I think, but. I don't know how well they're going to be able to keep restoring it. You know, just the no. fact of how it was shot. And you can't do anything about that. But I'm guessing there's not a 4K. I know you said that, but I don't. I, how could they, right, if it looks this bad? Yeah, I don't I know. Mean, do you mind looking it up? Yeah, so, I think because I had, I had looked into it before, and I believe there was one, but. You, the <laughs> the physical media 
CD Cenobite from Hellraiser. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so I did want to talk about the cast a little more because I think the other uh, person, at least, who needs to be brought up from the group of co-eds would be uh, Terry McMinn as Pam. Yeah, there's a 4K cut of it. Sorry. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that that's at least good uh, good to know. I mean, um, I'd be interested in seeing that. Maybe that would make make it a little better for me, you know. And then I, I really don't mean that in a bad way because that should have never really take away from the story or the influence of the story or how it impacted when it came out. But I'm just putting on the 2022 goggles, and I'm like, Have you ever watched any of David Lynch's films that were shot on like HD cameras from back in the day? Yeah, like the like Inland Empire. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. It'd be like I, I or okay. Michael Mann's Miami Vice. It's like yeah. I, yeah, okay, I get it, but it does look bad. So, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, you said that with like Nosferatu, you know? It's like, what are you supposed to do when it? That's even an older film. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm anti Nosferatu, pro Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> just because, yeah, just because it looks, it looks so, like that. Uh, I wanted to get back to Pam really quick because yeah. I would, uh, I thought of her, and I, I don't want to keep harping on X too much, but. Kind of like that Britney Snow role in X, you know, where she has some moments, but mm, I yeah. did feel like she was used mostly for sex appeal. Like she was shot in a way that Michael Bay shot Megan Fox in Transformers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I do think that her and uh, Sally, they're they're the the scream queens, you know, I guess of the of the film. But honestly, the the film is like extremely violent against them. And for the men, like, have you, did you notice how quickly the men died? Yeah, they just took And most out. of them, it was like, it wasn't even, um, half the time they didn't even know what was happening to them. They just bonk on the head, like real Looney Tunes type yeah. stuff, you know? I, see, I did notice that. It's a lot of the hammer hits, very yeah. Looney Tunes type of hits. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean about it being a comedy. But I did think that uh, Terry McMinn was kind of the one to be like the, the slaughtered lamb. I know we talked about American Werewolf recently, mm-hmm. but... You know, she gets the meat hook. She gets, uh, she's actually aware of what is happening to her. We get the freezer shot of her where it appears. I can't tell if she's uh, dead or, and just like has a zombie pop out moment or if she is still alive. But yeah, exactly. after that, she's never even brought up again. You know, she really was just there to uh, be meat. <laughs> wanted to use the meat hook. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it works. I wouldn't take that scene out, but I, I agree with you. Uh, other than that, I mean, I don't really feel like the any of the men of the group were worthy of really talking about. Um, I do think that the cast, its uh, bright spots are obviously Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface. And then uh, I think Edwin Neal was the name of the, the hitchhiker brother. I feel like they carry this film. I do like also what is the, I think it's uh, Franklin. Is that his name? The other guy that's sitting at them with the table? The older guy who is the, sh- the no, quote unquote Franklin is the brother. Oh yeah, so his name. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, the Sally's cook. Brother. The cook is his name, right? In the in yeah. the le- yeah, he's, so. he's Leatherface's dad, I believe. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the grandpa too, the old grandpa, which is so that I, was I weird. I definitely took some notes on them, right? So, I think it's I think it's uh, another reason that the film is so iconic is because Leatherface really is the the template for the modern silent killer. Yeah. Of everything going after John Carpenter, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, he's a hulking uh, mute man for the most part, or he can't talk at least. I wouldn't say that he's mute, but he he can audibly make uh, disturbing noises <laughs> with his mouth. Like there's um, there's like this, uh, I guess it's because Toby Hooper, you said, kind of inspired him from holding the chainsaw. What kind of person would be able to, what kind of person would use this a as a as a weapon and what kind of person would be able to wield this kind of weapon and it has to, it seems somebody like Leatherface somebody you're like could he be an incest type of like oh, character? most likely right yeah that's what it comes out and like I think it's like that brute strength that we associate with things that are not natural I think the 2003 one addresses that one of them shows him as a baby <laughs> and it's like it, the origin story of the family yeah of Leatherface he has yeah. a, he has a he has a cute little Leatherface right. <laughs> No, that's <laughs> no, but th- that's why it's like it comes off, um, and none of that is explained. But it's so it's such well, I don't know. Maybe it's me putting on again, knowing how much comes into this film after. But he just comes off as somebody. Like, this is a disturbing person who's not close to being. Is very far away from being normal. He's detached from society. Exactly. Sure. He, he does not live in a society. Or he, yeah, like he's he's growing up with these. His dad and his grandpa and his brother, like, eating meat and stuff like that, so. Yeah, 
so uh, he's like the family's muscle and the butcher. Yeah. So he's he's the killer in the family. Exactly. Uh, I did think it was interesting that you mentioned the cook, uh, who's their father. The, the the family dynamic between them is like the brother is like the rebellious teenager. Leatherface is like the housewife. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Even dresses like it yeah, too. Yeah, he wears like a mask with makeup on it. I and like blonde that. Blonde hair, and he wears aprons, and like he never wears a, he never wears like a dress or anything like that. But uh, I saw him described once as a bourgeois housewife. <laughs> yeah, I like <laughs> of no a southern gothic home. <laughs> and I, I like yeah, I like that. That's uh, okay. <laughs> you know, when I think of the dinner scene, I think of like the most disturbed, uh, disgusting like Norman Rockwell painting. You know that painting of the family at Thanksgiving, the turkey over the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what the I disturbed. think. Yeah, I'm like, this is the anti version of that. I think my, I think my parents have never seen this movie, but this is the reason they never let me go over to people's houses. I think this is this is what they, <laughs> they imagined. Yeah, this is what they imagined uh, other people's families might be like. Um, but I think that's where a lot of this film, uh, kind of why it's my favorite slasher, and why it is iconic is I think a lot of the setting is just uncomfortable i wanted to bring this up earlier before before the pod um we were kind of talking and i was like wait, wait wait, let's just save it right i think another thing that makes this movie uh so special is the atmosphere exactly where it lacks in story or script or any or dialogue or anything like that i think the atmosphere definitely carries the film and while it might not be shot beautifully it's editing by uh her name was Sally, well, I don't even know if there, she was a woman, but Sally Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't actually find anything on her. Um, most of the people involved with this were kind of just, this was it for them. Really. Getting, they didn't get paid. so. But I think the atmosphere and Sally Richardson's editing and pacing of the movie is what makes it so good. Yeah, because there's like all these things I do think the cinematography is really good. You know, even yeah, there's though, some really crazy shots in this. Like the framing is insane. And, and I think partly to kind of bring that back to the point that we were talking about is uh, in the moments where i don't know she is screaming for all these 13 like i don't know how long it actually is but it feels like 30 minutes or the last 20 minutes but in the background you see all these other bones and faces and things and it, it it's, there's so many stories there like how actually, long have they been doing this or how long before leatherface how did they do this how did this start and i think there's all these like you see like some of the candle holders are bones or some of the lights the are chairs yeah and all of those things are so you, you, you wouldn't believe you'd get this much world, much of a world in an independent film at this time. No, you're definitely right about that. Like, it's a perfect haunted house. Skeletons everywhere. Chairs made of uh, human bodies and flesh. The light fixtures being instead of just like a, some kind of fabric wrap. It's a like skin, <laughs> it's right? Skin with a, hu- with a human face on it. Yeah. And I do think that while the screaming is kind of a cheap way out for the dialogue. Everything she's looking at is like, dude, you would scream yeah. too if you walked into a room of feathers and a chicken in a cage and a, a chaise lounge with the skeleton head on top. You it's like everybody, anybody who's came in this room has never came out alive. Anybody yeah, who no. came in this house has died anywhere in this house. Yeah. And you have to assume that a lot, like you said, how, how long has this been happening for and how many people? Uh, one of the things X actually ripped off was when you see how many cars are on the property, mm-hmm. right? So when uh, I, when one of the first uh, of the of the group of guys goes into the house when he's looking for gas, he comes across like five, ten cars, and he's kind of like, "What the hell?" Like they're all old and they're abandoned. Like they look like they're from the fifties and things like that. Yeah. So it does imply that this has been going on for, for a, a very long time. And I know they have budget restraints, and also uh, that Toby Hooper was very uh, cognizant of the fact that he was trying to get this to be widely distributed so he couldn't do as much as he wanted. So a lot is left to the imagination. And, uh, you know, we're pretty veteran horror fans. So for us, yes, we want to see the gore. We want to see the disgusting, you know, but this movie just leaves it to your imagination for the most part. Like, I don't even know if Leather's uh, face's chainsaw ever even has blood on it. No. Like, there's the scene where Kim is hanging from the meat hook watching her boyfriend get... uh, butchered and there's only blood from the past things yeah and like that feels so cheap but it also does imply that it's like this is this is this is regular for them this is like look the wall's just covered in blood this has happened a million times which is creative ways to not have to try to get that rating right 
It's like, I'm not going to put any blood on them, but you could imagine that if they hooked her, she's obviously bleeding. But it doesn't have to be like this big spurt of blood coming out. And I think it's really interesting that this film worked as well without having to use so much blood. Yeah, I mean, another really famous independent film that used this tactic is Reservoir Dogs, the ear cutting scene. You never actually see it, but everyone swears that they saw it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's so nasty when he cut his ear off. But the movie cuts away and you never see it happen. You know, I couldn't help but compare in my head these two movies. I don't know really why. I guess I just wanted to see if you had, if in your head these two kind of live the same as like Evil Dead and this movie. Oh, yeah. And I do think it's that Looney Tunes horror comedy mixture that you can't help but feel that these movies are all kind of related in some way. I I know that Evil Dead came, the Evil Dead came after, so. Because yeah. I know Evil Dead is more intentionally funny, right? Obviously, yeah. this one, this one it's just written in a funny like the dad way. has funny lines, and their relationship in that weird wonky family is is funny. It's and then hilarious. how the um how the group of friends talk to each other, and in between when everything is normal, how they react is some of the funny parts in this movie. But in Evil Dead, it is more meant to be funny. But they live in the same place to me because it's like these are what you would make as a young filmmaker, independent filmmaker in the era that I'm they came the out. Wildest movie I can. Yeah. And I think even had we been granted, you know, that access to things like if, if we were the, them now, I don't think we would make necessarily horror movies like that anymore. So I think it's, I appreciate that that's where the mindset was at that time. And you can't really compare it to any other time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. Uh, the movie really is incomparable. Like I can think of other things that are like it, but it, really stands on its own and and above so many others um i think you know now that you brought up evil dead it made me think of the one of the opening shots of the film it's a really nasty sequence like just it, this is a yucky movie yeah <laughs> you know like i, yeah, was, I thought that when i watched yeah. it yesterday i was like i've seen this a million times but or not a million times honestly i've probably seen it at least five to seven but i really every time it hits me i'm like this is just gross like everything you have, it's you know it's pitch black and you have these photography flashes and you're seeing like old, like decrepit zombie bodies. And yeah. Just like when we talked about American Werewolf, like they look like uh, the, the the zombie from American Werewolf, you know, like green and like holes in their skin and like the front of an Iron Maiden cover. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is where the iconic imagery comes from. And then you have like something that would be something you would only see at like Not Scary Farm or something. You get this wide angle shot. Well, it actually starts very tight and then it pulls all the way out and it's this like art piece. I don't even know what to call it. It's a headstone with a man's like burnt zombie body and then like he's holding a woman, you know, like it's like it looks like a a meat sculpture, honestly. That's the only way I could describe it. And it kind of setting the tone really well for the movie, I think, is that um, something I really noticed was the radio. If you listen to the radio a lot, they're kind of talking about how there's these grave robbers. These are the things I missed because I was watching it on silent. So, <laughs> so there's like the the radio keeps talking about these grave robbers that have been around stealing, and that that's a concern. And I think that's a really good angle because you brought up the Vietnam thing, is that the news is lying. They're not letting the people know that it's actually. But you get the guy at the gas station, the old guy who's drunk, rolling around on the floor, talking about you wouldn't believe, like kind of the things I've seen or. He's kind of going on another speech about that. And I think those are the, the things, the undertones of this movie that kind of really transcend its independentness. And you would see in other movies that are, quote unquote, deeper, more artistic or whatever, or more thought out. And I think that's where Toby Hooper really proved that it, it didn't matter what budget he had. His story, his storytelling and his story making and his story crafting was there. And I think this movie, those little things are stuff that um, I had to really think about after when I sat there in terms of what are the bigger themes that this movie kind of presents? And the fact that you brought up the Vietnam thing, I didn't know that. And I think that a lot of this movie is just kind of talking about like, they lie to us. There's all this, uh, there's all this stuff going on, you know, and you, you get put in the shits and you just got to deal with it. Yeah. This movie really has inspired a lot of, (laughs) this is funny, a lot of thought, you know what I mean? Like it's a movie that has been discussed and dissected, not to use more puns since it's come out. Like there's been psychological studies on this movie on how, um, well, I guess it, it has to be this way, but you know how men view violence on women yeah. and, uh, just they've, they, you know, they've done studies where like they would show a guy like 30 horror films. Right. And then they would show him something like the Texas chainsaw massacre and like something like that, where he enjoyed that more. And then they see that this is kind of becoming a pattern of like, why is this 
just something that is like in the bones of horror filmmaking of women being the centerpiece of, of danger. You know what I mean? I just, uh, I mean, it's, that's something way too deep for us, honestly, (laughs) but I did think that that was very interesting. I I, I do think, I I do think it probably comes from, and I know you probably feel this way too, like, cause you have a wife, but it comes from gentleness of women. Right. And like to see something so gentle be completely taken advantage. Yeah. I think that's what, as a man, we don't necessarily we don't see ourselves as that and then when we see something like that it's just like that's the worst thing that could happen like you would take advantage of something you would that could obviously like what is what was sally gonna do against leatherface that's Nothing. why she like, took she took the smartest option she bust out of there she yeah she <laughs> crashes through the window not once twice i like that i because that's like that's the realistic part of it like that's what it, what i would fucking that's do that's what toby hooper said he was like the reason i wanted her to bust out of there twice is because a movie rule is that you never try to escape the same way twice but in this case, I wanted to. This movie's all about breaking the rules, man. It's a protest yeah, movie, exactly. dog. So he wanted to fucking have her bust out twice because yes, you will do anything it takes to survive. Even tried the same thing twice. How many times in a movie have they tried something and they were so close and you were like, they just never tried it again? Just because <laughs> they, they they just were like that didn't work. Like, well, like if you're busting down a door, right? Maybe you can't do it in one try. But if you take breaks and keep busting it down, like you're eventually breaking away at the hinges. You a, know? Yeah, exactly. Nope. There, it's the meme of the the fat old dude mining his way towards the diamond and just and stopping right before. Around. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, that's exactly what it is, and I and I think that's why I like this to the fact that like I would, okay, if they left the door open, they're distracted. And I ran out and they still caught me. Okay, but the second that they're distracted again, I'm gonna try it again because I'm trying to escape. I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. Like yeah. I don't. I, like, it doesn't matter if I have to retry. It doesn't matter if I have to break things. Like, and I, I thought that that Sally does really. Besides, that's why I was like besides the overall how long the screaming is i do think she brings out that fear that we all would have a realistic it becomes primal like yeah a, just it becomes primal sense. That's a, exactly. and uh I, we're kind of jumping around here but i i think we've had a good flow to the episode by jumping around so i did want to mention the final shot of her escaping right and just the iconic look of terror on her face the the she's laughing that laughing you know yeah. what i mean like she's got she's been joker brained at this point you yeah know what i mean like this this broker <laughs> she's like you wouldn't believe the things i've seen huh she is now going to be the old drunk guy rolling around on the floor talking about what happened but i mean spoiler for the new one if you haven't seen it she comes back and you know she gets marked instantly so she learned nothing oh l, <laughs> l plus you learn nothing <laughs> plus, plus yeah plus i still love the face i haven't you know, aged at like all when we, the new halloween trailer that comes out and it's got laurie strode holding the fucking gun right to michael myers face and i looked at you and i was like she no shot she even pulls, pulls the trigger it. yeah you know what i mean <laughs> and <laughs> that's, the, that's actually what happens to sally in the new one and in terms of uh just kind of bringing it back to that is like they they we saw michael myers get it they beat him up dude they were they were stabbing him they were hitting him with did nothing and she's gonna shoot him straight in the face even if she does what is that gonna do yeah. at this point he has plot armor and i mean um no one here none of these kids had a gun no so you know what i so i just think it's sometimes like you got to remove the fact that they wouldn't even have a gun or they're in a situation where yeah because the fact that if they would have shot leatherface he probably would have died right he's not unstoppable it's just the fact that he's a freak well all it took was one chainsaw cut on his leg for him to just yeah like he's he's Ow. a person yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean he kind of still ran like nothing he like, had a tom and jerry scream <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's why i do think uh he's an incest type of uh character if you like yeah. the way when he does talk or how he audibly voices himself you're like come on yeah no disgusting family dude yeah uh, i don't even know if i ended up saying it earlier but i wanted to was the the family dynamic of the they're actually called the sawyers i don't know if you know that mm, but the, the father he's like why can't we just do this fast like i'm not into killing folk yeah i just want to cook them you know what exactly I mean? he's like i just want to eat them yeah um something that you know i've always wanted to talk about on the pod and we've mentioned it here and there is uh, when we went to our our iconic and classic adventure yes <laughs> we went to universal studios uh, halloween horror nights too. we went on this maze very fun you this know one of my ones it wasn't like well I, I didn't think it was one of the best because i thought it was just like the halloween one or the other one where it's like there's just 15 leather faces that is the issue with that yeah. um it, it wasn't as good as something like uh the exorcist one like i thought the oh exorcist no no, no. yeah the that was the best one but I wanted to talk about, uh, I'm tying it in by bringing up the, like the effect that this movie has on people when they watch it. Right. So they had the, the, I don't know if you remember on the lower lot, they had the barbecue stand. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And when you think of like theme park food, you know it's not the best quality, right? So you're already kind of thinking like, I would never eat like prime rib or tri-tip from Universal Studios because it's just like microwave food, right? But when you put the when you put the aesthetic and the facade over it that it's cannibal, like it's flesh, human flesh, like it made it so much worse in my head that I would feel like sick every time I looked at the barbecue stand. Yeah, you're like, like I imagine that human flesh would taste like Universal Studios tried to. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's so funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, just wanted to like it made me want to puke every time I looked it's at like, it. Every time we went into that maze, it was just the meat they had in the freezer, huh? Yeah, exactly. Like this smells like what human, yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Like this is just the chicken we actually serve you at the Jurassic Cafe. See, but I do think it's um, because the Texas Chainsaw the remake came out this year, right? No, it was last year, and uh, I mean, there's there's one every couple of years. I would say because I was going to say is uh, the maze for still have so much connection to the original in terms of they're not making them off of the other ones matters. Now. and like people still wanting to go into the maze like that's one of the popular mazes there you know, you know i think the fourth halloween or the halloween maze was based off the fourth movie i, I did yeah based off the first one. i did yeah it was yeah um yeah what was the other thing i wanted to bring up about it um i oh that it is the only one that's really um like known for anything i know this i think the second one has dennis hopper in it and that's was kind of like the appeal for that one nice is that he plays like a sheriff and i think you know, I actually haven't seen it, but if I had to guess, the way the movie ends so abruptly and it just cuts to black, that you could pick up the sequel of, like, Sally going back to town and be like, this is what happened. Yeah. And then them, like, the cops, the police, everybody trying getting involved in it becoming, like, more of a manhunt or something like and that. And then Leatherface just killing all the cops. Yeah. That'd be tight. Hey, Cab. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Cab. Because uh, he's a working man in the he's new He's a one. working class hero. Exactly. Uh, that was one. I, I'm kind of winding down. I don't really have too much more to say, mm-hmm. but another interesting... Um, look at this movie is that it's a criticism of industrial capitalism nice. that this family was displaced from their life and their career because they were in the slaughter industry and they've been replaced by the machine you know the <laughs> the air gun that kills the cattle because that's and, a point uh, in the it is a point that of pride in their family that the grandpa could kill 60 cows in five minutes and the only reason he couldn't do more is because they couldn't get the bodies out of the way fast enough and then uh, it ties in more of that Looney Tunes humor where he keeps picking up and dropping the hammer. Yeah. It's like the worst kill you've ever seen. Like he's like, you attempt. do it, you do it, Grandpa. <laughs> he's, like, he's a legend. He's been the best. He can't even pick up the hammer. Uh, my, my wife, I mean, she had seen this movie before too, but the funniest thing she had mentioned to me, she was like, why does the Grandpa look like uh, one of the vampires from what we do in the shadows? Yeah. Like that something they keep in the basement and is in a thousand, it's a thousand years old. <laughs> and th- th- that was something, see, that I, I didn't, um, since I hadn't really ever really seen it, I didn't know that he was going to be alive no, up until they put the yeah. finger yeah, and yeah. you're like, Oh, what? Th- he's moving. He's just a corpse. It's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, I don't think, I don't think the blood is working. I don't yeah. think you're getting any younger. And like, was he a vampire? Were they trying to, yeah. I do think, um, like you were kind of talking about the psychological studies that have been made on this movie. I think, um, Leatherface as a character is very interesting. Um, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, obviously, for the month. And you know a lot of the older monster movies, there was always this um, plot device that the monster is very human, right, and has emotions, and they fall in love or whatever. And I think... um, King Kong falls in love with the lady. Yeah, (laughs) because it's vulnerable, right? But I did think Leatherface has some of that. And it's not that um, it really presents it in any way. But the fact that we see him kind of in makeup... And the fact that he, he, he is a family man. You know what I mean? And I think those are the parts where it's always really interesting to um, see like that presented in films with serial killers. Because in real life, some of the stuff that we watch, like people, some serial killers are really nice, obviously, to their kids or whatever it may be. But then they're really horrible to other people. And I yeah. think, um, I think a good... And uh, a good character who is the opposite would be Buffalo Bill. And since you had brought up Science Correct. and Lambs, he's completely by himself in the same kind of atmosphere, mm-hmm. like uh, that disgusting flesh dungeon. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but he's comparison. completely alone, you know what I mean? And Leatherface has this crazy dysfunctional family dynamic, and I think it it, it really makes the film a lot better. I think it builds to his character dynamic because even though he doesn't say anything, you see that he's also like an abused child, like the father. Exactly. Like, fucked up the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, abused, both of them. Yeah. They're uh, they're murdering a group of kids, and the dad is upset that the door got messed up. You know what I mean? So you see how 
you know, I'm obviously not trying to make any excuses for the no, actions of this fictional but character. I think but it comments on that. Yeah, it, 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 it builds to who he is, you know? Kind of like you were talking about a displacement of this family who caused frustration to the dad and started beating on these kids. The kid has an incest and you're hitting his head. Like, what kind, of, what kind of evil are you, you know, making there? And then family always just adds that dynamic. It's like, well, my dad is this way. My brother's this way. So it's okay to be my this way. My grandpa's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I have no mother around for, you know. So I think that's what this film does really well. And then none of that is talked about. It's not mentioned. You just kind of get those those moments, like you said, like where he talks about the gun in the beginning being better. And I think just those, those simple lines gives your mind so much to like, wait, yeah, I, I could put myself in that situation. Yeah. You know what? The Hitchhiker, I wanted to bring this up, is uh, one of my favorite memories from this movie from when I was very little is that I would impersonate the Hitchhiker to my mom. And I just, I always used to be like, you like head cheese? <laughs> get really fucking mad. She'd be like, stop this disgusting. <laughs> like, I was a, I my brother's a real good. Saying, I was banned from saying head, head cheese, cheese in our house. Yeah, because my mom just did not like the visual image of her seven-year-old <laughs> son saying that to her. <laughs> you like head cheese? <laughs> my brother cooks it real good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, kind of a short episode, but I do think that, you know, we packed a lot into this 45 minutes. The movie is short. Um, it's one of those iconic short horror films. And I guess one of the closing thoughts that I would say is the fact that this movie, all gas, no breaks yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it, it just, I feel like in the beginning, it's kind of a, that's the only part that kind of feels like where it's setting up, but it takes its time really well. Like it, not a minute spared. Like that's the time that they used to, develop the characters is just enough you don't need to know much yeah. more or much less it and doesn't matter like stopping at the gas station and having mm -hmm. the conversation with the revealed father later you know it builds that mistrust of like he was like no don't go stay here like the, the gas will come like trust me you don't want to be going around on people's land and then just for that big reveal later on for you know when she does when sally does escape to just get taken back to the house by the yeah by know, going the gas, the gas station, station clerk the cook yeah it's just like you said, no time is wasted. You realize later on that, oh, that was important that they stopped there and things like that. And there's just so many iconic scenes in this, but the ending, which I've seen a lot, it just starts with Sally laughing a lot, but then Leatherface kind of dancing with the chainsaw. It's, the original it's, Joker dance. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's super <laughs> iconic. We kind of talked about it in Pearl, where she's kind of doing it. In, I mean, in X, yeah. when she's old and she kind of gets her first kill in the movie, she kind of does her little dance. And that's how Texas Chainsaw Massacre has really inspired a lot of people. It's, And I think it has that connection. I'm saying where your monster has feelings. They're still humanized in a way, and those moments do that. And you kind of get the leather face kind of like, you got away, but this doesn't end. This no. is like because I I did think the the comedy part of this and this this ending sequence is when the guy the trucker helps her and he like grabs the wrench and throws it at his head yeah and a boing, yeah. you know and then he just got ah and then the, the chainsaw <laughs> that whole and then they're just kind of the way that the, he's chasing them it seems like it would be in a in a cartoon they're just kind of just waiting for him and he's right behind and they both start running and they're just running in circles did you notice that the truck had a name like as if it was a boat or something like that it said Black Maria on the side oh no <laughs> <laughs> I really like that the the small character touch of like let's name the truck and then i also like when the other truck truck driver comes up the one that she ends up believing on and it's like I, what are you waiting for like right like she's trying to get on but he's trying to like in the beginning he's like what's going on what's going on like, oh 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 and then you know so i really enjoyed the ending of this film i thought even the when he's trying to uh put his uh the chainsaw through the, me the metal door and it just not going through yeah. I, I enjoyed that too it's like he wouldn't know he, he just doesn't know that what's a car right what, what is this type of and this film just there's a giant motorcycle with the little house in the, in the middle. middle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what I've never seen one of these before. <laughs> so all, all those things are why I really enjoy this film, and I think it. I'll continue to watch it throughout the years, and it's like a perfect slasher. You throw this on, and it just you're very uncomfortable from the from the get go. There's something eerie going on, um, and this it's in Texas too, right? Uh, yeah, they did shoot on location, hundred and ten degree days. Uh, lots of people were injured making this movie. Uh, so I know Toby Hooper, you know, classic, classic moment, you know, he made a movie and then everybody hated him after because it was like the worst experience of their lives. Yeah. I know he said it took them many years to cool down and kind of forgive him. For Say the movie's tight though, right? Yeah. Hey, and you made no money. Yeah. <laughs> the mafia <laughs> took it all. <laughs> Sorry about it. Um, 
what was I gonna say? Oh, another another scene that I wanted to bring up actually before is um, the eye sequences when it's just a shot of her eye, kind of like I thought that was re- like really really good because it's like how how is it just a shot of her eye? And I could really feel like the way she's moving it in terms of like what you were talking about. She's looking at everything in the room and it's such panic. And I'm this is the worst thing that could have happened to me. All my friends are dead. Some you know, of the best eye acting I've ever seen. Yeah. And like it's ridiculous to call it that. But it's like I, there's so much terror shown. And then it's just an, an eye moving. And so, so rapidly, you know, and I think those are, those are just like you have to give it to the actress or Sally. Right. And Marilyn the director and the director. Yeah. And like I, I just think you know, knowing what you what you would want as the viewer, what's going to make you uncomfortable, and there's nothing. She's not bleeding from the eye or anything, but there's so much that's being said in that yeah, scene. It's really lightning in a bottle, honestly. Like it's it's they captured a special piece of movie magic, honestly. Yeah. And while I don't think that this is one of the best movies of all time, I don't think you can even put it in contention of like this is one of the best horror movies of all time. I just think it's so iconic, and it's it's like a it's like a textbook for like, how do you make a great horror movie? You know? And I just think, I think of it like that. So it's like honor and respect, peace and love to the movie. It's not really like, Oh, this is the best one. I don't think it is, but I just think that, uh, it's, it's so easy and fun to talk about. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's the best slasher. Right. And I think it, that's what it does best. Yeah. It, the goal is to get these, these crazy kills and it does that very well. So if you haven't seen this, I mean, what are you doing, man? It's Halloween time. Go watch this movie. Yep. Uh, it's really short. It won't take up too much of your time. I mean, I don't want. I'm not trying to use that as a selling point, but it's a it's a lightning in a bottle, quick experience, like a flash in the pan. You know what I yep. mean? So I definitely think uh, if you haven't seen this, you I couldn't recommend it more. And if you have seen it and you've listened to this, uh, tell us what you think, man. I want to hear how you rate it or think about it um, in. In comparison to every other horror movie that you've seen, honestly, like where does it rank for you? And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I don't really have too much more to say. No, me neither. I mean, I'm I'm glad that I saw it for the first time. I do think this is going to be a film that I'm going to keep putting on, like I said. And I think I might end up loving it more. It, for me, it might grow, you know, because it's, it is somewhat new to me. I, I do think that this is a film that whoever i meet in the future whatever maybe if they've never seen it i want to show that to them you know just like um if you're a horror fan i do think this has everything that you would want in a certain type of like uh horror like if halloween is your type of stuff freddy krueger and all this stuff this fits in perfectly and i think it's so far my favorite of it (laughs) you know i I, uh last thing i'll say is i'm gonna harp on it one more time that not knowing that you hadn't seen this and since I've known you for so long, it feels like a layer was revealed today. It's like I discovered that you smoke cigarettes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the hell? I didn't know I, that. I thought I knew this guy. Everything <laughs> <laughs> there was to know about Alvaro. He hasn't even seen one of my favorite movies. movies. Yeah. So, because we, I think we talked about that um, in one of the episodes before where you said you, you kind of grew up as a Texas Chainsaw as opposed to, oh, Silence of the Lambs, I think it's for that no, episode. No, I probably said uh, as opposed to Halloween. That, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. And I, that's what was interesting to me because I guess I was on the other side. My mom, she doesn't really watch too many horror movies, but for some reason she was really into Halloween. So I grew, I, but if I had to, even now comparing the two, I would have much rather have grown up on Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with that shot being thrown, Thank you for checking back into the Grand Cinema Hotel. Like and subscribe. You know the deal with all the buttons. Just press them. Send us some love. And, uh, yeah, happy Halloween. Keep watching scary movies. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.